Okay, if you have your Bibles, let's turn with, turn with me to Luke chapter 16, because we're going to Luke chapter 16. Paddock loved the scene so much, he wants to watch it again. All right, so um, we're, we concluded um, last week with the, uh, with the prodigal son, the lost son, and uh, we were talking about worthiness. And interesting enough, the reason why I didn't really touch this part, even though this uh, particular parable concluded it quite well uh, of last week, uh, it's because, well, we had child dedication, of course. But then also, I just thought it would be a good opportunity to do it more of an elaborate more explanation today. Because this parable actually serves two purposes. It's amazing because uh, it serves as a reminder as well that we have to read our Gospels as a whole. Okay? So this uh, particular parable concludes chapter 15, but also in a dove's tails in a way to start off chapter 16. Here's what I mean. Uh, I didn't post it up there on the screen on this passage, but let's look at Luke chapter 16, verse 1. It goes like this. Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. Now, where else have you seen the word wasting in chapter 15? Okay, that's unfair. It's like, what is it, 11.30 in the morning? Uh, yeah, so <laughs> it's the prodigal son, right? He wasted his inheritance. It's the same word, wasted, meaning, so there's something about wasted here. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be a manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. Reminds me of a friend. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. Verse 14, I mean, verse 5. So he called in each, each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into internal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Confused? Who's confused with this parable? Okay, so this is where it's important to actually read it as a whole. Where did we come from? We came from the prodigal son, right? We came from somebody who wasted his money away, right? But then it wasn't the prodigal son that was the focus, was it? Right? He wasn't the focus. Recall it was the older brother that was the focus because it was the conclusion. Recall that both brothers got their inheritance. Remember? Okay, so the, the younger brother came up, to the, came up to his father and says, I want you dead. <laughs> right? Basically. Like, uh, because when you ask uh, your father for inheritance, basically you're wishing your father to die. He said it overtly. But who else got the second half, the other half of the inheritance at the same time? The older brother. Right? Did he say anything? No, because he's too goody-two-shoot to say anything. But he knew. Right? It's almost like, um, <laughs> like uh, you know, in the Chinese term, I don't know, sorry, um, sorry Howard, this is Cantonese here. Um, when you tell a lie, what does that, what, how do you say it? Gong dai wa, right? 
And then one of my uh, elderly friends said, you know what's interesting about that one? Is that it means that as soon as that you actually spoke it out in order to qualify as a lie. Okay? So if you remain silent, it's not a lie. But you and I both know that even remaining silent, you could lie. You get it? So if for, the, for the older brother, even though he remained silent, he still accepted that, yeah, I kind of want my dad to die too, by accepting that inheritance. You get it? So the focus was really not about the younger brother. The focus was, had a lot to do with what would these brothers do to his father at the end? Who is actually worthy of the father's kingdom? Is it the older brother or the younger brother? Who repented and actually acknowledged that this guy, that the, this father is our true father, and I repent for ignoring you. I repent for making, thinking that and I'm wishing you dead. It was the younger brother, not the older brother. The older brother instead, what did he do? He actually wanted his father to pay for the party because he didn't want to spend his own money. Weird, eh? Okay. So you're, we're doing that now. And then now we come to this weird parable of this shrewd manager, right? And Jesus was saying that this manager, he wasted his money just like the prodigal son did. But then what did he do? Well, back in that day, Jews are not allowed to lend money to anyone and collect interest. You could lend money, but you're not allowed to collect interest. Even to today, they have that rule. If you go to Israel, Right? They all know that you're not allowed to lend money to people and collect interest. But like today, back then, they found loopholes to do that. They find other avenues to lend money to others. It's called banks. <laughs> right? And so they don't lend the person directly. They just lend using the banks to lend money to other people. You get it? So they use banks. in order. So guess who invented banks, by the way? The Jews. <laughs> right? They're the ones who invented the banking system. Right? It came out of there. Just look it up. You, you, you'll, you'll find it. And so, um, by the way, it's called The History of Money. It's a book. So, so the Jews had said, okay, I can't lend money, but I'll lend it like, through the banks, right? That's pretty shrewd, isn't it? So then this manager was, was the bank manager uh, of this master. He knew that his master is doing something wrong. His master is like, uh, doing some loopholes to lend money. He knew that his master is doing something wrong already. He knew that his master's debtors hate his master, right? Because he's the master charging extraordinary interest, right? And so when the, when, he, when the master figured out that this manager was wasting his possessions, what did this manager do? He was smart enough to make things right. He, when he makes things right, he actually put the master in a corner, didn't he? Like uh, he was gonna like forgive the debts, forgive the interest payments, literally, for all the debtors and then made the master look like a hero, right? But then at the same time, he couldn't fire him, right? The master now can't fire him because now he's a good guy. He's pretty shrewd. That's pretty strategic, isn't it? So then Jesus goes, if you're as smart, if non-Christians, non-Jews are that smart to use their money, and he's actually identifying the Pharisees too, if you guys are that smart in using your money, in keeping your money, in working your money like that, how come you can't use your money to win more people to the kingdom then? Why not use your cunningness, your shrewdness, your ability to manage money, your talent to manage money, and win people to God? See, this really relates to where I, what I'm doing with, my, with company and disciples. I have a lot of uh, people in our circle who are in financial management. 
And they always wonder, how can I be a Christian in this field of work when really it's not, it's all about money, right? Well, here's a parable for you. Use money to make things right. Money, right, sometimes we know, and I do know, and some of, I shared with you some of my story, when I know that money can be used in the wrong way, right? Money can be made in the wrong way, and I want to make things right, and God is calling me to write it, even though it cost you your job, and it did. It costed, it costed, please mom, right? It costed me my job for making it right. But he calls us to use money to write things that are wrong. So then I tell people, when you're in financial management, you do have, you do hear stories. And then I do have a friend that works for UBS, and then he, ha he has clients, large clients. And he tries his very best. And the, you know, I, I'm sure God admires his heart and honors his heart for doing it. You know, he tries to advise his clients, hey, look, this may not have been earned rightly. You need to correct that. You know, you step in. God placed you in positions where you step in and just say something and just offer advice and pray over this and, and ask God for wisdom on how to tell your clients, this may not be the right thing to do. But use the money, use that leverage to right the wrong. And that's what this, this Jesus said. If you are so cunning, if you have a CPA, sorry, sorry, <laughs> like, sorry, Angel. If you have a CPA or a CFP or a CFA or a CFI or a CSC or whatever, all those acronyms, right? CSI, CSS, yeah, I know where. Like all those acronyms, you have credibility. You have some leverage. Well, they're looking up for you for advice. Use that leverage, Jesus says, and win people over to God. Win people over to God. Win friends over to God. Right? Use your advice, counsel them, right the wrongs, have them respect you, and win them to God instead. Instead of building this wealth and empire that they want. You follow? That's the parable. Does it explain now? This weird parable? It kind of dovetails with the, ends and concludes with the prodigal son. Because the, 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 that, elderly, that elderly son didn't even have that notion. He would rather keep it to himself. He says, no, my cunningness, my shrewdness, my management of money, and he did manage his money quite well, because he didn't want to spend it on parties. Right? He wanted other people to spend it on parties. He, didn't, he wasn't a party guy. He kind of wanted to do it, but he didn't want to spend it. He's a good saver. That's what means. Like, I think for Rosanna, he would be he would qualify as an A-plus client. Right? She'll never see him ever. Just once a year to just evaluate his portfolio. That's about it. Right? He's good. But he was missing something, wasn't he? He was missing the repentance of submitting his money, his power, whatever he has, to God. He didn't repent of treating his father, the one who gave him the money. Like, he didn't repent of saying, Dad, I'm sorry to actually wish you were dead. You know? Now on that note, let's go on to this week. Last week, okay, so we concluded that, and we concluded with the, uh, now we concluded with the uh, dishonest manager, and now you know what that is. And then we also had the parable of the prodigal son. So in summary then, we learned that Jesus used these parables to teach the disciples and those who were listening, such as the Pharisees and the lawyers, that if we are so good at using money to win friends over or for our own benefit, why not turn that around and win people to God? Win some to God. 
use money to right the wrongs. Now, this could be telling your clients, or this could be actually advising your clients or advising yourself with this money to actually invest in the poor, to, uh, to feed the poor, to help the poor, to help the unfortunate, the needy, or to give to like uh, water programs, the H201, or whatever it is, uh, I can't remember, instead of gaining recognition. See, this all ties in now because when we look at this, we discovered that worthiness, like a, back in the last chapter, worthiness has nothing to do with how well one person is frugal. Um, I gave an example of one. Like, if it, like, I still remember some people, like, like, uh, like, uh, they would dress really down to, to come to church. They would be wearing their sweatpants or something, right? And then they would claim themselves to say that, look at me, I don't spend much on myself. Right, and then they just come in, and then they, they they judge other people who like maybe put on makeup or have French nails or something like that, right? And then they go, ha ha, like. But then deep down, they really wanted to do that too. And so that, this uh, this type of thing is like, if that's what we call as worthy, I'm sorry, that's not how you that that's not worthiness to God's kingdom. Worthiness is what the one who repents, the one who calls God their Father, and the one who repents of their sins. And that's where we conclude in that. And uh, so that's the whole entire summary of that parable in that chapter. And now we move on to chapter 16. I'm sorry, it's a elongated summary, but I, well, I realized that last week I burned through it really quickly in like 15 minutes. And now I, I figured I should sum it up. Are you all right now? Good summary? Okay, let's move on. Verse 10. Let's go to verse 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth. Who will trust you with true riches? And you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property. Who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees who love money heard all this, and were sneering at Jesus. Hmm. Let's back up. Pharisees are not your hated people if you actually, you would not know that a Pharisee is a Pharisee. Actually, if it wasn't for Jesus, I would be called a Pharisee. Right? I manage my money well. I live well. I, uh, like, uh, I'm timely, punctual. I attend church services. Um, you know, I follow the rules. I'm a law-abiding citizen. And I figure this is what I will get to heaven. This is how I will get to heaven. Uh, I got to make sure I manage my money well, be a good steward, tithe, right? And do my benevolence, do my volunteering, etc. That is, uh, to me, as a Pharisee, that like, if I was a Pharisee, that is what I should do. Be a very, very good person. So would you like me? Yeah. I'm not that bad of a guy, right? Same as like a, if I had a, a financial planner. If a financial planner looked at my Pharisee portfolio, right? He would say, wow, you're doing great. Look at that. Everything's like earning a great return. You invested in a Beyond Meats for a while. Then you not. Then you bought it again. You're a really good day trader too. <laughs> you know, like you're, you're investing really quite good. So really Pharisees are not that bad. They're not that bad people. So what's wrong with the Pharisees then? Why is Jesus so harping on the Pharisees if they're that horrible? Love of money. The love of money. 
And it's not just, and this is where I have to explain a little bit. What is this love of money? Well, in Greek, does everyone see the Greek part? It's uh, pasalar girls. Ooh, that's tough. Pasalar girls. And the definition of, uh, of this love is loving money, extreme greed for wealth and material gain. So if you know who Daffy Duck is, his famous Christmas song was, all I want for Christmas is more, 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 more than the year before. That's pretty much a Pharisee idea of money. They're great people, folks. They're like you and I, career-oriented, very missional. Remember, Pharisees do not do this full-time. They're not religious, like, they're not pastors full-time. They are actually you and I working. They're bivocational, okay? Right? They're workers, but they're missional. They have this mindset of how to get to heaven, how to get to the kingdom of God, and they know it, and they're going to proclaim it, right? They, they, they're going to tell people, this is how you do it, this is how you live your life, this is not that. But the problem with them is that they love money. They wanted more. They were very wise in it because they wanted it to, they saw that money can get something that they could, they want, they desire. So they, uh, they would save lots. They would uh, like hoard uh, it a lot of lots and they want to invest in it. And they, their life kind of centered around money, even though they're benevolent. How does that work, you say? Well, I have to blast you through into a, another um, story in another gospel. Do you guys remember the widow's offering? Yeah? You know, where she only gave two cents in? What was happening during that time, before the widow? The Pharisees were giving, right? And what did they give? Loads of cash. Lots of money. In fact, it, may, it will make us, yeah. <laughs> it's like, wow, right? That's exactly what they want. They gave because they want praise from others. So they knew that money also gave them praise, also gave them status. It's like this guy who has the initials of JMP, who owns pretty much every car dealership and the signs, I remember one time having a conversation with him. He gives a lot of money to a lot of things. He gives it to the hospitals and everything. But when you have a chat with him, you know where his heart is at. He wants more. He was talking about cryptocurrency with me. He wants more, right? Is he a Christian then? Is, is he, like, even though he's giving, like, we would respect him, right? The world would respect him, but no. So this, this is a Pharisee. This is the Pharisee we're talking about. They're really good people. But the center, their Lord, is actually money. So let's pause for a moment and look at ourselves. I find that a really good litmus test for ourselves when we start to wonder whether money is our Lord, whether we're slaves to money, is actually to look at our conversations with our friends our closest friends, especially, you know, like girls night out or guys. We have a guy group now called B&W at Beer and Wings, <laughs> right? So like, uh, you know, what we talk about. And the funny thing is uh, Rosanna and I went to a, a, uh, just a, just a gathering of old friends. Uh, she was uh, in a kitchen and I, I was stuck in this table and we were chatting. You know what we've been just, uh, for the whole hour, what we were talking about? And I was just listening in because I don't have it. Pensions. They were all worried about the government taking away their pensions, the taxes that will be involved. Oh, what do you have, defined benefit or 
Defined contribution. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. And, um, and they were all going, oh, you know, don't you dare take away my pensions. And one guy works for this, and the other guy works for that. And then everybody's like, you know, talking about pensions for a whole hour. Hour. How can you talk about pensions for a whole hour? But you know where their heart is at. You know where they're enslaved. Yes, they're great people. I love my friends. Great parents. Go to church. They, they tithe. They don't, and then, you know, they, they, they manage their money well, right? They teach their kids as best as possible. Some of them send to Christian schools. Great people. But who's their Lord? And Jesus says, you can't serve two masters. That's how we serve two masters. Is that every time we go here on Sunday, we worship, it's like, um, uh, I know a guy, like, um, he, he gave me a story one time at, at, at Tenth Church. Uh, there's a lady that, that was carrying a Starbucks coffee, and she was worshiping God, and one hand is here, and the one hand has that cup. So it's like, you know, you're worshiping two masters right there, right? So, you know, that is basically, you come here, you worship, acquiring the saying that, you know, my God is my God. But then during the whole week, you complain about how the government's taking away your money. Who is your Lord then? You have two masters. But Jesus says, you can't. You have that or the other. Who is your master then? That's a good litmus test, isn't it? Maybe one of these days, when you're going on a dim sum, maybe not right now because of the virus, but you know, like, maybe like later on, <laughs> maybe later on when you have a dim like you know, playing mahjong or something with, uh, with uh, your girlfriends or whatever, just be quiet for a bit. And, and just uh, hear the conversations around you and what's going on. Usually, there's three. Kids, work, money, <laughs> right? And, and, you, and those are our masters. When that predominates our conversation, those are our masters. So then how are we supposed to treat money then? And this is where we got to come into what the, a little bit of what I said last week about children. Money is a trust. Money is entrusted to us. Guess who owns money? Who owns our money? Who owns our money? No, Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> okay, it, it, like her face is right there, <laughs> right? The Bank of Canada owns our money, right? Literally, the Bank of Canada gives us these notes. And what does it say on the note? This has just been entrusted to you to use, but we can take it away anytime we want. You, you see the note? You not see the note? We could take it away anytime we want. Exactly, you better check it out, right? So if you think about it, but then we as Christians know that everything belongs to God. Whatever we have, the sustenance and everything, belongs to God. Our children belongs to God, right? So our money, yes, it belongs to the Bank of Canada, but, he, but really God just gave us the talent and the ability to actually have it lent to us. So it's actually a trust. And what does it mean by a trust? It's entrusted to us to use for his purpose, to use for his glory, to proclaim his glory, to use for his kingdom. And that, that is what money is, that's how we should see money. It's the same for all our possessions. How can, like, if God lent me this, how can I use it? Because I know that later on, down the road, he can take it away. And I'm sure some of us who got laid off or ever fired from a job, we do feel that, that God suddenly took it away. Right? He can. He could give, he giveth, and take it. Right? So what are you going to do with between that time? Well, you better steward it. Better make it worthwhile for the purpose of God. Because he can give and he can take. Nothing like money is just there to be entrusted to us. 
So with that knowledge, with that knowledge, then if we could treat that money as just our, you know, entrusted to us and that we don't have the hoarding mentality, Jesus promises that you will actually see the glimmers of the kingdom. You will actually see glimmers of the true riches of the kingdom here. And that gave me some thought. I wonder what that meant. And I had to dwell on this. And I realized something about myself. I have to look back. Because for the past almost eight years now, I've been working in the nonprofit world. And I realized in the first few years, I was money driven. I had money as Lord of my life. How do I know that? I wasn't, when I saw money was scarce, you know, donors were low, I was afraid to spend and invest on good things like God has given me the opportunity to do. And then when I realized that, I missed that opportunity, I actually missed the glimmer, the evidence of true riches of heaven. Here's another one. When, uh, when Rosanna, when I met Rosanna, she actually supported a child at, uh, for World Vision initially, right? And that encouraged me too. But it took me a while to get there. But she, does, she, she did it. And then you know, money was kind of like about this, like lording over it. I've been fighting that. But she was way ahead of the game for me. And then when I saw her, I go, hmm. But then I saw the notes, the letters that the kids write back to you. That is a glimmer of a treasure from heaven. That is the riches that I could see. And another friend of mine who uh, right now runs a, uh, um, he's helping a water foundation, right? Think about it, if he was a guy who was hoarding money and he was afraid of spending money for God's purposes, if he didn't see money as just an entrust and he thought that it was his mine, right? Then he would be worried about his payroll, wouldn't he? He would be worried that he won't get enough donors to pay his bills. Right? So that would prevent him from spending on projects of water projects. But when he comes back to me and says, yeah, we didn't know that we were going to have enough, but we did it anyway. We, we invested in that water project, and he showed me these pictures and everything of people, like children just being fed, like have, uh, have water now. That, it too, is a glimmer of heaven, of the riches of the heaven. Glimpses. And I wonder, so I, I reflect upon myself, I too also see that now. Look at Richmond Community Day, right? Look at the Good Friday Community Dinner. Look at us right now, what we've been doing. Yes, there are times when we feel, oh, this is gonna be costly, <laughs> right? But then we're not afraid. We take that step. We take that step of faith saying, Lord, this is your money anyway, we'll use it for your purpose. And what do we have? We get the respect of the city of Richmond. People know us and people know that we're loving. That is a glimpse of the riches of heaven. See folks, I've seen churches too in my lifetime that they store their money in this thing called a building fund all the time. It keeps building and building and building, but then they never build. It's just only for a rainy day. Yet I noticed the people inside the building, money's their Lord. And those churches seem to have that attitude and that environment and that just that aura of negativity, of fear, afraid to do anything for people out there. Whereas when I see 10th out of the coal projects, they spend, they, they, give, they give money to people, they, they invest in those projects that are out of the coal. I see fervor, I see fire, I see the Lord working in their congregations. I see activity, I see happiness, I see joy, I see redemption. Like, you know, when you go into a, a service like that, you go, wow, I really feel the energy. You know why? 
is because they have now consistently seen the glimpse of the richness of the heaven. If you've seen glimpses all the time in, your, in every Sunday, a glimpse of heaven every day, wouldn't you be excited? Wouldn't you be singing and clapping and with joy? Instead of looking like a frozen chosen? Right? Like a people who are like melting on the pew? You get what I'm talking about? God is giving us opportunities to see these, these glimpses of the treasures of heaven right now when we are faithful with our money. When we only see our money as a trust that's given to us and that we know that it's his and he can take it away. So let's use it for his purpose. There was a rich man, verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades, where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from here to us. He answered, And I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Sorry. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Very popular parable, right? You guys heard about this one? Do you know why it's very popular? Because in other cultures, they have a similar story. So I don't know who bummed off who. Maybe Jesus like bummed off some somebody. I don't know. But it's a very popular parable. Yet there's a twist. If you look at the Chinese parable, uh, I think it's like Tao, Taoism. Whoever invented Taoism, I can't remember his name. Uh, so he actually like, created that parable for the Chinese side. And uh, it's about karma, right? So, like, uh, so usually it's a flip. If you do bad things in the beginning and then you're wealthy and the poor, they flip. And then uh, near the end of the story, almost every culture like, uh, that's similar to this parable, uh, actually, there is a messenger that goes out there and tells and warns people because that's the, the principle of the story. But interestingly enough here, Jesus twists that parable. He twists that folk tale. He says, no, no chance, <laughs> right? You're not, you ain't got no chance to go there. So you're not even allowed to talk to them. You're not allowed to talk to your, uh, your living uh, people, right? So this is a popular parable in a way that, you know, it's been used to prove that hell exists. It talks about how like, the poor people will get to heaven, which is not true because you know, like, the poor people still need Jesus in order to get there. So it, like, it, it's, there's a very popular parable in that. But if we take it and, you know, and put it into the context of what we've already been discussing, who is really the primary focus here? The rich ruler, the rich man, right? He's the primary focus. If our whole context is about money and who is our master and everything, it's the rich guy that is our focus here. Right? So let's focus on the rich guy. He is saying that like, uh, he's been a good guy. guy. He said, like, Jesus is addressing the Pharisees at the same time while he's there doing this. 
So he's like, so Jesus is looking at the Pharisees and the lawyers and all the goody two-shoe people, uh, like us, and he says, okay, you guys are great. You're, a, you know, you got your life in order. You got a good job. You got the things. You're going to church. You tithe a lot. Uh, but you have money as your Lord. So here, I'll give you another parable. Here's, a, here's one here. How can you not have money as your Lord? What is the best remedy for not having money as your Lord? Give to the people who cannot give you back. Get it? It's sort of like the people in Oppenheimer Park. Like, uh, you know, those people tend to spill over into downtown. Like, they walk and everything, and then they just spill over, and then they ask you for money. Well, this guy's not going to give you any accolades. This guy is not going to put you on the website saying, oh, look, Jonathan Chan gave to me, you know, type of thing. He's not going to do that, like, tweet about it, right? Jesus is saying, you know how you do not make money as your master? One way is to give to those who cannot give back. Give to those who cannot put you up, prop you up, like some king, right? And that's the thing. In order to dethrone money out of your life, in order to dethrone that status that money has, in order to not yearn for what money can get you, both in the consumption, but also in the giving world, you have to get, find ways to also include in your life's disciplines to give to those who cannot return back. Yes, it means <laughs> it means right? You know, you, you can't, you give, but it doesn't return, right? You give money to somebody, but you get no thank you. Exactly. I gave some money this past week, and I'm not bragging about it, but you know, and I noticed that I got hurt too by giving because that guy didn't say thank you. I'm like, John, that's exactly what you're going to preach this Sunday, right? Like, you're, you're preaching to yourself here, right? Exactly. In order to dethrone that money thing, is actually to be able to give without expecting anything in return, even the simplest thank you. In order to actually dethrone everything about us, it's to actually allow a guy to cut in in front of you, and don't worry if he doesn't wave back, right, at you and saying thank you. Right? You follow? And so this is why Jesus said that what he said is that if we continue to try to expect money to give us something, to return something, then we have no place in heaven. And unfortunately, Jesus is really tough on this. This is tough love for us. He says this, if you die with that mentality, sorry, bro, you're done. No chance. When he comes, or you die, whatever comes first, that's it. He goes, you can't have a second chance. You're not you're like my grandfather, when I, my, yeah, yeah, my dad's dad, he thinks that, you know, right at the last moment, he could like, get every single religion in his room and, and repent. <laughs> you know, no, no chance at all. And so he gave us that warning. So folks, what is the biggest takeaway here? That if we allow money to take priority, if we do not continually, on a daily basis, just evaluate where we are with money or what consumes our conversations, if we do not help our friends to actually watch out for that too, our brothers and sisters in Christ, they too need to hear this, that if we do not dethrone money from that spot in our lives, you never know when he's going to take it away. And you never know when God's going to take away your life and say, that's it. 
There's an old saying, live, a, live it every day as if it's your last. I don't think there's some truth to that. And Jesus is warning us on that. Repent now. Give this opportunity while we sing, while, while we do our communion. When we pray, repent that. Repent. Confess. Say that, Lord, don't let money be my master. Dethrone it out of my life. Give me opportunities to see opportunities to give, to practice, to right wrongs with money, to use money for your glory. Allow me to see some riches and find joy in seeing those riches of that glimmer of heavenly riches in my life. Lord, I repent and I take this bread and cup in response. Let's pray.